0: Welcome to Marquette Missionary Church. Here's today's message. Well, we're going to get into the message part here. Last week, we are kind of starting a Thanksgiving series on hope. And as you heard within our worship team, Garrett talked a lot about hope. We sang songs last week, we sang songs this week, all dealing around this idea of hope. And last week, we looked at Romans 5, verses 1 through 5, and I want to pick up on some of the verses that we looked at last week. And starting in verse 2, it says this out of Romans. It says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We talked about and looked at on how, as we go through this life, our suffering and our trials that we are going through right now, the Lord is producing something. He is doing something in our lives in the midst of trials and suffering. And it is a continual process. Trials equals endurance, which then produces character. And throughout all of that, the Lord is producing hope in our lives. Well, this week we're going to continue down the path of hope, and this week we are going to be turning to 1 Peter. And I want to kind of give you a brief understanding of the book of 1 Peter and a little bit about some of the circumstances surrounding this. I always think it is a good idea for us to understand as you read a book of the Bible, what's going on? Who is it written to? Why was it written? Peter pens this book to people that are dealing with immense suffering. They are having trials after trials. They are losing hope on so many levels. And Peter pens this book of encouragement and hope to God's people. It's interesting that that Peter pens this book from Rome, about 30 years after Christ's death and resurrection. And shortly after Peter pens this book, when I say shortly after, within years' time, Peter is martyred for his faith. Peter is martyred upside down because Peter did not count himself worthy enough to be martyred in the same way as his Lord and Savior Jesus. So when they brought him to the cross, he said, I do not want to be hung up there how Jesus was because I'm not worthy to die as he did. So they hung him upside down and they martyred Peter. And Peter pens this book to people that are struggling, to people that are feeling discouraged. And we are going to be looking at some of his words today. And I believe we are going to have some hope and some encouragement as we look to God's word. This morning, I'm going to ask for you to uh, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and please turn and then stand with me as we read God's word this morning here. So this is 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Peter pens this. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not now see him, you believe in him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let us pray. Father God, as we look to your word today, Father, I ask for your Holy Spirit to be here working in our hearts and lives this morning. Father, you desire your people. And God, uh, I pray, Lord, that we will see you more clearly today. That as we seek you, we will find you. God, we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated this morning here. So like I said, Peter is speaking to a group of people that have had some ups and downs. And right after Peter's introduction, Peter wants to remind his audience, the central truth of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And these words are going to, and these words we are going to end up camping out in for a little bit this morning. And this is in verse 3. So I'm going to ask if you can put verse 3 up there and just kind of leave it up there because we are going to be camping out there for a little bit this morning. And verse, verse 3, he starts off and he says, blessed be the God, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ." This is a very, very common phrase within the New Testament. Other writers, including Paul, has kind of said this as an introduction. He's given honor and glory in reminding the church who is Lord. He's reminding them constantly that Jesus Christ is still Lord. No matter what is happening, all of the various trials, Jesus is still Lord. And he starts off by re- reminding them of that. And then he says this, according to his great mercy. Jesus is Lord, but let me tell you, this is all taking place according to God's great mercy. Now, this word mercy, according to who God is, his very nature, is very, very interesting because when you see this word God's mercy or mercy used within the Old Testament and New Testament, it's always because God is working. It is an action word when it comes to Scripture. You can see this throughout the Old Testament. God's mercy is constantly manifesting itself in his saving acts, which consist of his forgiveness of individuals and of the nation of Israel, his deliverance of God's people from his enemies. God's mercy also has eschatological dimensions. For from God's mercy will flow the final forgiveness and redemption of his people. And Peter here, once again, uses this word mercy. Out of God's mercy, we're going to see this action. It's always God's mercy and then God acts. It is always God doing something when you see this word mercy within scripture. In here, it says this, his mercy, in verse 3, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's mercy has caused something to take place within people's lives. And Peter here points out that God's mercy has caused us to become born again. Now, this this one term, I'm sure many of you know this term and have heard this term and within Christianity, this term is a very well-known term. And even within our world and culture, this term born again is used in many different places. Actually, up until 1976, before Jimmy Carter was running for president, this term was only really well known within Christian circles. And it was Jimmy Carter who famously called himself a born-again Christian. And then that term, people, there was a book written on it, and, they, and this term started to become mainstream. It started to become used outside of the Christian circles. Even today, if we have a great example, is that if there are Is a baseball player that had a good season coming off of a relatively bad season, they say that that player has been born again. There is this, this term is used, but within Christianity, I sometimes feel like maybe this term sometimes get lost. It gets lost sometimes. Like, what does it mean to be born again? What does that term actually mean for us? Because here, this entire scripture verse hinges on those words according to God's great mercy, has caused you to be born again into a living hope. So this term, born again, I want to kind of explore it this morning. And I think the best way to understand this term and what God means by it is for us to turn to the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 3. So many of you have probably read this, or if you've been in church, you probably know Pastor, I know exactly the road that you are going down here because this is actually the first time we see this term used, or I should say this phrase, these words used. So turn with me to, uh, to, a, to the Gospel of John chapter 3, and we're going to look at some verses here. There is a story, there is this interaction taking place that we are going to read about and then talk about this morning. It says this in uh, John 3 in verse 1. said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he said this in verse 7, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. Verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, you hear its sounds, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we see this interaction here. We see this interaction and scripture points out very, very clearly there is a religious man, Nicodemus. He is a Pharisee, which just simply means he was a religious leader at the time. He was one of the workers at the temple. He was in charge of God's people. And it says here that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And this has been, de- I should say, debated, but questioned. Why did Nicodemus come at night? And there's all of these different theories, probably because he wanted to avoid the other religious people from seeing him come Jesus. But anyways, Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and he starts off by giving Jesus all of this praise. Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you must be from God. You do all of these wonderful signs. I see all of these miracles. And he starts off by praising Jesus. And it's interesting here. Notice how Jesus doesn't go down that path. Jesus is very, very good at this. As you read the New Testament and the Gospels, People come to Jesus all of the time and they ask him questions. And watch how Jesus always like, cuts through all the fluff. You know, they, you know, Nicodemus comes. Oh yeah, Jesus, you're just this great teacher. And Jesus could have easily have said, well, thank you, Nicodemus. You know, it's quite an honor coming from such a great religious man like yourself here. He doesn't do any of that. He cuts right through all of it. And Jesus gets right to the heart of, of the matter. And I think the reason why Jesus does this here is because Jesus knew he didn't have a whole lot of time with this guy. Jesus knew this guy, he wasn't going to be coming back the next morning for more conversation because of his stance and his influence where he was in his life. So Jesus cuts right through everything and Jesus says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words here, Nicodemus, stop talking about all of these peripheral matters and personal honors. The thing I want to get across to you is this. There is something a person absolutely must do in order to see the kingdom of God. Now, in theology and philosophy, there are distinctions, and one distinction that is very important in these disciplines is the one between what is called a necessary condition and a sufficient condition. And this is what I mean by that here. A necessary condition is defined as something that absolutely must happen before something else can follow give you a quick example here. In order for fire to ignite, the presence of oxygen is absolutely required. You cannot have fire without oxygen. We all know this. If you know anything about, you know, trying to get a fire started, if you've been camping. When I go camping, I bring my my battery-powered leaf blower. You can get a lot of oxygen onto that fire very quickly. But oxygen is an is an absolute necessity for fire to be started. But by contrast, a sufficient condition is all that is necessary for a result to occur. Oxygen is not a sufficient condition for fire. It is a necessary for fire, but alone, it does not guarantee the result of fire. You cannot have fire without oxygen, but you can have oxygen without having a fire. And Jesus here is giving to Nicodemus a necessary condition when it comes to the kingdom of God. And it's this. One must be born again or they cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless A takes place, B cannot happen. And I share this with us because why is that so important? Why are these words and why did Jesus lay out this to Nicodemus at this time? Because the Pharisees at the time, they were under this belief that because they are a Pharisee, they can enter the kingdom of God. Because they were born into this religion, because they, they, they were Jews by nature, by their bloodline, in their mind to enter the kingdom of God, they were born into it. They don't even question it. It's not even a question in their mind. I'm born a Jew. And in, and in Nicodemus's state, he's a Pharisee. Not only was he a Jew, but he was a religious Jew. He was a guy that knew the Word of God, the Old Testament. So in Nicodemus' mind, he's totally good to go. And when Jesus has this one opportunity to talk to him, Jesus brings this point home. Nicodemus, unless someone's born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. And I love how Jesus just drives this home with him. But for us today... There must be spiritual rebirth that must take place in our lives. There must be an awakening within us in order for us to see the kingdom of God. And it's, it's very interesting here because there's some mystery to all of this. And what I mean by that is that in order for someone to be born again, there's no cookie cutter shape here. There's no one way that God works. God doesn't just do one thing or always operates in one form when men and women become born again. Jesus even points this out here in verse 8. Let's uh, reread verse 8 here. Jesus says this. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born Of the Spirit. How God brings this new life into our lives is a mystery. And I think for a a long time within Christianity, Christians for the longest time have kind of made becoming born again almost like a formula, but there's a mystery to it. And, And I know that to be true in my own life, and I think as you guys look at your own lives here, all of us here have a different background. You know, how I became born again, how God came and put his spirit within me, totally different than how he probably worked in your life. You know, in my wife's life, she grew up in the church. She always, you know, from a very, very young age, she knew God. And in that process, she be. She had a new life, a new birth take place, but she can't tell you the date or the time of when it happened. And I want to just simply say, there is no right way or wrong way on how God's Spirit moves in your life. If you have been born again, if the Spirit has come within you and transformed you, God's process is very creative. For me, it was 1984 Buick. On Interstate 43. For some of you, it was at a church service. For some of you, it was at a revival service in the 80s. Some of you might even have been watching Billy Graham on television and given your life to the Lord that day. And some of you, it was a gradual process. You grew up in the church, but this, this new life took place within you. And you can't give a date or a time of when it happened, but you know it happened because his spirit is within you. But the key to it all, the key to this becoming born again, is that something changes. In order for a man or a woman to be born again, something has to change within them. It's not based on church attendance. It's not based on membership. It's not based on all of your religious duties. Something new has to start within you. And I believe throughout, throughout Scripture is that your will gets changed. And what I mean by that is that we all have a will. And if you've ever had a little little kid, you know that they have sometimes strong wills. But we all have these wills in this life. And what happens is when you encounter Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, your will changes. Your will becomes less and his will becomes greater. And if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, which I've probably quoted these verses more than anything else, Ephesians chapter 2, we get a good glimpse of what I mean by that. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, crying out the or carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we by nature, look at this word, Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But, verse 4, being rich in mercy, you see that word again, you're going to see God make this action step. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor, why have you spent the entire time driving home and talking about this idea of becoming born again? Because like I said at the beginning, in 1 Peter, everything hinges on those words. Turn with me back to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to reread verses 3, 4, and 5. Blessed be the God God, revealed in the last time. Church, we have something to be very, very hopeful for. And the hope that we have for those who have been born again, for those who have encountered the living God and God's Spirit has been poured within you, you have a living hope. And the reason why it is a living hope and not a dead hope is because our Lord and Savior is alive. He's not dead. He came and he conquered death. He conquered it. And then those of us who come to him and believe in him and put our hope and our trust in him, guess what? You're not dead either. You were dead, is what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You used to walk in the ways of this world, but then you encountered the living God. And you became born again and you have this new life and i want to encourage us that we have this new hope we have a hope that is living in this world church and i think right now in this season i'm seeing too many christians getting discouraged maybe maybe getting a little bit fearful and i want to encourage you the god who died and rose again for you this jesus christ who left heaven and came down And sacrificed everything for you and for me is alive. And our hope is in Him. And I think that we really need to be encouraged in this because in this season there are trials and there are difficulties. But I'm telling you this there is nothing in this world to be afraid of. The reason why is because this world will pass away. And one of these days you and I will all leave this earth on God's perfect timing. And we will be with him. But those who have been born again have this hope. Those who have encountered the living God have a hope that transcends everything else in this world. And I'm telling you this because I want you to be encouraged. I realize this season is a weird season. It's a crazy season. And there's a lot going on. But you, who are Jesus Christ, have a living hope because our God is not a God that is dead. Our God is a God that is alive, and we have hope in him because we know, because of Jesus' resurrection, death and resurrection, that you and I are alive with him. We have already died because we have died to our sins, is what Paul says in Romans, and we are now alive to God. And there is nothing in this world that can take that away from you. If God's spirit has come into you and you have been transformed by his spirit, not by your own doing, then you you have a living hope. And I want to encourage us in that this morning here, that we need to be living in this hope. That our hope is not in things of this world, but our hope is in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Because he died and rose Scripture is very, very, very clear that we die and we rise with him. And I want to encourage you in this season, in this Thanksgiving season, to be living in this hope that God has for us. There's going to be a lot more chaos happening in this world. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of crazy stuff. And life doesn't always go our way, but we can trust in our Lord and our Savior. And we can lean on the fact that he already died. He already paid the price for our sins and our wrongdoings. And he conquered it all. And if we as a church can just stay focused on him and hopeful in him and in him alone, I believe God can carry his church through any circumstance. Any circumstance. As Peter was writing this, Nero was in charge. We've never seen a Nero in our time. If you want to talk about some crazy, crazy stuff taking place to Christians, feeding them, to the lions, burning them. Um, He burned down Rome and then he blamed Christians. I mean, just some crazy, crazy stuff. But there's hope, not based on circumstances, not based on what's happening around us, but there's hope because of who Jesus is. And I want to encourage you today with those words. And I also want to be challenging you. I don't know if all of you here have been born again. I don't know if you have given your life to Christ and his spirit has come within you and given you a new life. Some of you might have been attending church for years or for decades and you, you might be falling into the camp of just Nicodemus. Well, you know, Christianity has just always been who I am. Jesus looked at him and said, you must Be born again, or you will not see the kingdom of God. And becoming born again, there's no magic formula. There's no special prayer. It is simply us coming to God and saying, God, I give you my will. I give you my life for your life. It's this beautiful exchange. Mankind says, God, I'm going to give you my life, and then in return, God gives you his life, which is found in his son, Jesus Christ. And his life has conquered everything. And it's just this beautiful exchange that takes place. And I want to be challenging you and encouraging you this morning. If you have never made that step to be making Jesus your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to be doing that today. For his spirit to come in and to give you a new life and a new hope and a new future. Because only he can give you this living hope that is found in his son Jesus.